everyone and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc, etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. Today our cases will focus on angels of death or medical serial killers. I'll be covering the case of the Lane's angels of death. And I'll be covering the case of Beverly Allen. Sounds good. So before we get started, I thought I'd just check in and see how everything's going with you. We are, of course, uh, practicing safe social distancing. I am in Boston and Natalie is in Denver, so we are plenty of far apart. Yes, I have been just holed up at home, being a homebody, watching everything that I can on Netflix and Hulu or whatever else. How's social distancing been for you? (laughs) Oh, it's been the same. Um, Recently just started to watch Tiger King on Netflix, which I know is pretty big in the true crime uh, world and just regular world of Netflix goers right now. Um, You you said you're not watching it. Is that right? Yeah, no, I've watched a little bit of it, but I've been getting most of my info from friends and social um literally just checked in with my boss and she was telling me about the first episode oh my gosh it's definitely interesting um there is the the main lady i forgot her name carol um she's accused of killing her husband and feeding him to tigers so from what i've seen i'm not sure if i if i believe that well i mean that is definitely an interesting way to do things maybe one day we'll have enough info out there we'll cover it who knows (laughs) right it just oh my goodness and it's funny um because it all took place in Oklahoma and I did my undergrad there so all of the Oklahoma people that I'm friends with on Facebook are like we're not from that kind of Oklahoma (laughs) oh yes you are that's all of Oklahoma (laughs) everyone's like that (laughs) um Um, we're I'm sure that there are some very pleasant non-tiger human feeding people in Oklahoma. (laughs) Yeah, uh, either way, I still moved, so (laughs) no shade to people. There are, you know, you're right, no shade to to Oklahoma. It was was fun while it lasted, but, you know, I have to say I prefer uh, the East Coast. No, I hear (laughs) you. Anyway, uh, getting back on track to what we're talking about today. Um, So we're going to be focusing on medical serial killers so in the the media they're often called angels of of death or angels of mercy and we would like to you know shift to to make sure that we're we're using kind of the proper terminology which would be medical serial killers because uh i i don't know about your case but my case these are not mercy killers at all that's not that's not the right way to to frame these killers or, or what they're doing. So we will call them healthcare, healthcare serial killers. 
Um, and so I got some information from an article called Medical Serial Killers, the so-called Angels of Mercy. That is from Crime Traveler. Um, so as far as healthcare serial killers, they are rare, which is good news, you know, but they are often able to go undetected because of the methods they use, the the types of victims they go after. And so um, these kills may start off as mercy kills, mercy kills, quote unquote, but will develop into something else over time. And there appears to be kind of an addiction aspect to these types of kills, which appears to be common kind of throughout these these cases. And so there were four defined types of medical serial killers. There's thrill seekers, um, individuals who just get that thrill out of, of killing and they want to do it over and over, power oriented. So they're killing others because they want to feel power or control over them. Uh, those who are gain motivated, so they have something to get from from this act of killing. They may be you know, relieving a burden to their patients or going as far as stealing their money or belongings from the patient. And then there's missionary killers. So these ones are less common, but they're serial killers who really just think that um, they're getting rid of immoral or unworthy people. So those are the, the four types that were defined by this article. So keep those in mind as we're going through these cases. I know as I'm thinking of my case in particular, I think they check off a few of these boxes. They don't necessarily stick to just one. Um, but that is the information I have that just kind of gives a background before we dive on in. So Natalie, do you want to take it from here? So I'm doing the case of Beverly Allett. In 1968, Beverly Allett was born in Grantham, Lincolnshire, England, and was raised in a nearby village called Corby Glen. She was one of four children, having one brother and two sisters. By most accounts, Beverly had a relatively modest upbringing. Her mother cleaned schools and her father worked at a, worked at a liquor store. According to her family, Beverly was pretty normal growing up. Uh, their neighbors recounted that Beverly often volunteered to babysit whenever anyone in the area needed it. At school, however, many of her classmates recalled that Beverly would always come to school with bandages or casts and tales of injuries that she had endured. Uh, due to these injuries, Beverly tended to get a lot of attention from her schoolmates and teachers. There was some speculation that the injuries might have been imaginary or self-inflicted, with one of her former classmates recall recalling, quote, she would never show what was under the bandage and got accused of inventing injuries, end quote. Um, some accounts also report reported that she was known to self-harm and would hop from doctor to doctor seeking attention. Eventually, she went on to be trained as a caretaker and later a nurse. As a nurse, Beverly's supposed, quote, odd behaviors continued. Um, at a nursing home she worked at, she was suspected of smearing fecal matter on the walls and hit me. What? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, why? That doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, I read a couple of things where she, one was that she smeared poop on the wall and acted like she had no idea how it got there. And another thing was like she smeared poop on the wall and like called the police. Okay. It was, just, it was strange, but there seems to be a strong belief that she rubbed poop on the wall for some reason. So yeah, so she <laughs> did that and she was also habitually 
absent from work. And that was always due to um, her having to deal with different ailments or illnesses that she was that she said that she was um, dealing with. During this time, she also had a boyfriend. He would later report that she was manipulative, deceptive, and aggressive. He claimed that she was sometimes violent with him. Uh, One report was that she um, often kicked him in the groin, which is not very nice at all. Um, Poor guy. Yeah. 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 Not fun. And um, he also claimed that she falsely claimed to be pregnant. And she also claimed that she was raped by a previous partner. Um, But most accounts uh, say that this person that she was dating at the time was actually her first relationship. Um, But I don't know the details. um, There's not a lot that goes into the details about um, whether or not those things were true. Yeah, there just seems to be a a pattern of lies coming from her. So even if you know there there were situations that uh she was put in, in bad positions uh, how would how would we know yeah exactly in nursing school she um wasn't the best student she failed her nursing exams quite a few times but due to a nursing shortage despite her poor attendance she was actually able to secure a contract on the children's ward of grantham and and now this is very strange that you're seeing all this because it sounds exactly like the person that I picked, and I have almost that exact wording. So, seeing a lot of similarities so far. Um, very interesting. <laughs> so, let's see. So, she was able to secure a contract on the Children's Ward of Grantham and Kesteven Hospital in Lincolnshire in 1991. Uh, during that time, Beverly cared for many children, often reassuring their parents that she would take extra special care of them, even going as far as volunteering for extra night shifts so that parents could go home and rest. Um, so that they didn't have to stay in the hospital with their children. Over the course of 59 days, from April to February of 1991, Beverly attacked 13 different children, ranging in age from two months old to 11 years old. Um, Really, really sad. Um, So these children were admitted to the hospital for a variety of reasons, things including chest infections, falls, pneumonia, asthma, and by all accounts, things that should should be treatable in the hospital. In Beverly's care, however, she would inject the children with a lethal dose of insulin or air bubbles, which would cause adverse reactions like cardiac arrest. Um, Four of those children, unfortunately, did pass away. Um, These children included um, Liam Taylor, who was seven weeks old, Timothy Hardwick, who was 11 years old, uh, Claire Peck, who was 15 months old, and her final victim. Um, And then there was Becky Phillips, who was two months old. That's so sad. I know. It was heartbreaking. Um, Most of the children who recovered did so because they were resuscitated and eventually transferred to another hospital. Um, Thank goodness. Yeah. There were even times where after a child was resuscitated, if they were left in Beverly's care, she would attempt the crime again. What? Uh, Yeah. It was, it took way too long for people to start noticing a pattern. I read somewhere that the other nurses would kind of joke, oh, angel of death, haha, like these, you know, like this is happening a lot on your shifts. But um, no, there was no like red flags raised because overall she did have a very nice and caring temperament with the families and the children. Yeah, I think that's how they get you. They are, you just would never imagine. Well, people in the, the healthcare field in general, we go in with the expectation that they are going to help us or that they, they want to take care of us. So 
this is not something you go in expecting. That's just wild. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in the case of two-month-old Becky Phillips, who was a, she was originally admitted for gastroenteritis, um, which I haven't looked into, but I know gastro means something in the stomach. Sure. <laughs> So, yeah, Um, uh, Beverly administered an insulin overdose to Becky before she was sent home with her parents. Becky died two days later, and authorities believe it was because of cot death, um, which I think is British for sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS. Um, And so SIDS is just this unexplained death that just happens to children typically under the age of one, um, where they go to bed and just don't wake up. Um, there's, it's usually not linked to anything specific. And so out of an abundance of precaution, Becky's twin sister, who's obviously also two months old, Katie was admitted to Grantham just for observation. Um, unsuspecting, uh, Becky and Katie's parents were actually really appreciative of the special care and attention that nurse Beverly had given to Becky when Becky was admitted, um, prior to her death and so they specifically requested that beverly oh no yeah and they specifically requested that beverly watch over and care for katie um and during this time unfortunately katie stopped breathing and had to be resuscitated twice um after the second episode of non-breathing katie was transferred to another hospital but she had already suffered from permanent brain damage partial blindness and partial paralysis it turns out that Katie was given a mix of, I believe, insulin and potassium, um, which caused her non-breathing episodes. After her final, after Beverly's final victim died, um, the final victim was Claire Peck. Um, just weeks, and that happened just weeks after her attacks on Becky and Katie Phillips. The hospital and the authorities became suspicious and started looking into Beverly's involvement. She was charged with four counts of murder, 11 counts of attempted murder, and 11 counts of of causing grievous bodily harm. Beverly pled not guilty to all charges. Two years later, in May of 1993, she was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to 13 life sentences. Um, She's currently serving her sentences in a high-security psychiatric hospital in England. So... Beverly hasn't said anything publicly to help understand her motives, but some experts believe that she shows symptoms of Munchausen syndrome or Munchausen by by proxy. So I am sure a lot of people are familiar with just the term Munchausen. Um, I think Eminem talks about it in the song. Wait, what? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. What song? Do you know what he says? Or he might not have talked about it in a song. This is going to make, like, I'm going to sound like such a dork because I, like, read everything that I can on Wikipedia. No judgment. No judgment. (laughs) But I think, I think in one of his songs, it might be, like, Cleaning Out My Closet. He talks about how his mom, like, always, like, made people believe that she, that she or he was sick when they weren't. And then I think, like, in the music video she's like pouring some chemical into like a soup or something i'm not sure oh weird yeah and then is that is that true i recall like a long long time ago i like looked it up interesting see yeah i was thinking um did you watch the the act on hulu um no but i read the whole like 
I read all about that case. The Gypsy Rose situation. Yeah, I read all yeah. about that case before um, that ever came out. But yeah, it's it's a lot like that. Um, and so in the case of uh, Gypsy, I think Gypsy Rose mm-hmm. was her name. Yes. Um, yeah, her mom made her sick for years. And so um, according to the DSM, Munchausen syndrome, which it's commonly known, um, but I guess the more um, appropriate term is factitious disorder. Those are conditions in which a person acts as if they have an illness by deliberately producing, um, faking, or exaggerating symptoms uh, to gain the role of a patient and often the attention that comes with it. And so those disorders are broken up into two categories. Um, One is imposed on oneself, um, or what we typically just refer to as Munchausen syndrome, or imposed on others, which is Munchausen's by proxy. I find the case of Beverly a little interesting. I don't, I haven't done enough research to know if people who experience Munchausen imposed on, or factitious disorder imposed on themselves and um, factitious disorder imposed on others kind of cross both like lines. Um, Yeah, that is interesting. I don't. I don't know enough about it. Yeah, but it sounds like with her growing up, she did a lot of the standard kind of Munchausen's, which was, you know, putting on bandages, creating these tall tales of things that had happened to her, um, going from doctor to doctor until they became like suspicious of her. And then eventually um, getting the role of a nurse, which... um, Mm You know, obviously, but, but she wasn't able to become a nurse, right? She flunked. No, out. she so she failed oh. the test multiple times, and then eventually, oh, but she still okay. Yeah, so eventually she um, passed it, and there was just such a shortage of nurses at the time that they like hired her. Um, I read some that a lot of her nursing classmates were actually surprised that she had gotten a position, um, but she was able to get it, and then from there seems to have switched from factitious disorder imposed on herself to factitious disorder imposed on others. Mm -hmm. It still seems that she kind of craved the attention that came from being the nurse that was there to save her patients. I think in one of the cases, um, like she did something to cause a little boy to go into cardiac arrest and they were able to resuscitate him and he was fine and his parents were incredibly shaken up and didn't want to leave his side and were of course um just really worried about the overall health of their kid since he didn't come in there with any heart issues and then um she really inserted herself said no um i will be here i'm gonna take on this extra shift i'll stay here all night um and kind of really won their like admiration and praise for like you know taking on the responsibility of their kid like that and so in a way like there's still a little bit of that attention seeking that um was kind of kind of there with good old beverly yeah it sounds like she falls into the gain motivated category of she wanted this attention from the the parents of these children from maybe her co-workers just yeah, because I'm, I'm not getting the sense that she really fits into any of the other categories unless, you know, she genuinely believed these kids were sick and she thought she was doing them a favor to to put them out of their misery. But that's not what it sounds like. It sounds like she just really needed that attention yeah. um, by being provider for them. Yeah, and so she is um, serving currently 13 life sentences. And I think the way they do life sentences in other countries are different than the way we do it in the U.S. And so I 
too. I don't even really know how we do it in the U.S. Well, a life, like a life sentence, I feel like for us is like life, <laughs> like a very, a very long mm-hmm. time. I think in other countries, life is ten years. How is that life? I don't know, um, but again please if i'm wrong fact check me tell me what your country's life sentences are um yes we want to know even if you're america tell me how it works i have no idea (laughs) but i feel like i've heard of people who have like life sentences that also get out before they die because when i hear life i hope that they would die in prison but i don't (laughs) well maybe that's mean of me i don't know their situation so in her case i think she's technically serving 30 years um but i think due to some of the psychiatric concerns about her wellness that she'll most likely um spend the rest of her life in a psychiatric hospital and that's good i obviously have sympathy for people who have situations going on but when you cross that line and and hurt other people that's when you know my sympathy isn't as strong um yeah well moving on to my case like i said there were some similarities which i will cover as we go through but my sources today just to give them a shout out um were the new york times psychology today.com and murderpedia again um so my case like i said focuses on the lane's angels of death um like i was saying earlier that's just what they were called in the media but we know that they are actually medical serial killers um so this case takes place in the 1980s so if any of the information i have is inaccurate or wrong um some of my sources said different things, different ages, different time periods. So I kind of meshed them together as best as I could. But if there's any inaccuracies, it's on me. Um, But feel free to check out my sources for the most up-to-date material. Um, So this case took place in Austria in Pavilion V of the Lanes General Hospital. Um, This was the fourth largest hospital in Vienna with approximately a 2,000 person staff. So There was just 2,000 people on staff, so I can't imagine how many um, people they were taking care of, but I imagine it was a pretty big facility. Um, So for this case, I will focus on four nursing assistants, uh, Maria Gruber, who was a nursing school dropout and an unwed mother, which I think was more scandalous at the time, Irene Liedolf. who she was married, but she preferred to hang out with her female friends. Valtrude Wagner, who is who I will focus on mainly throughout this case, and Stephanie Mayer, who was considered to be the house mother of the group. She was significantly older than the rest of them. The the first three I mentioned were in their early to mid twenties, and Stephanie was uh, 50 years old or around that age. Like I said, there were a few different um, ages mentioned in my sources. So I will be focusing on Valtrude Wagner. She had kind of the most information and she was seen as the ringleader of their little little, uh, murder club, which was what they uh, were referred to often throughout these sources. They sound so fun. Yeah, just, you know, your murder club. Yeah. Um, So Wagner was responsible for the most murders out of all of them. Um, 
Just a little bit about her history. She was one of six children. Her family was from a rural village in Austria. And like many families during this time, she assumed responsibility of being a caretaker for her family, specifically her grandmother. So uh, her mother was working in the field and she was the one who was in charge of taking care of her grandma. Her grandma apparently had open sores on her legs, so caring for her wasn't an easy task. You know, at the young age, I think it was like 15, she was having to change the bandages on, on her grandma's legs, which I am not into all that medical stuff, so that would be pretty tough for me. I can't imagine that, which led her to maybe pursue um, a job in, in the medical field. But unfortunately, she was not the best student, so she had to repeat a grade in primary school. And later on, she enrolled in a nursing program, but she ended up dropping out. Um, So that was kind of similar, I was thinking, to your case, where you took your um, person a few times to pass a nursing exam. Um, Wagner just wasn't able to get into get through nursing school at all. But she was able to get a job as an assistant nurse due to a shortage of nurses. So that seems to be a theme of, you know, what's going on in the environment is that there is a lack of people in this field to complete all the jobs that are needed. Um, so that's how she was able to, to pass through. Let's do some psychiatric screenings for uh, nurses who turn up during nursing shortages, please. (laughs) (laughs) Or who failed their exams many times. Yeah. But there was was a need, and I think um, something that's important to focus on is the environmental stressors that may play a role in in everything that happens. Um, So kind of moving forward so in this pavilion v of the lanes general hospital um it was a difficult place to work so the hours were long there were too many patients and not enough people to take care of them Uh, the patients were especially difficult to work with as they were all elderly and terminally ill making them a very vulnerable population so this differs from your case uh your uh what was her name bethany beverly Beverly. She was going after younger people who who wouldn't be able to, younger people, like babies, actually. Um, And our lanes, uh, angels of death, were mainly focused on the older population. That's just who they worked with. Um, But there were, like I said, a lot of environmental stressors happening. You know, it was difficult to care for these patients. I imagine there was a lot of resentment that was that was built up uh, during this time within these these four women. And eventually, in 1983, the first murder was committed. Uh, it was said that one of Wagner's 77-year-old patients begged her to end their suffering. Wag- Wagner gave in, complied, and she soon developed a taste for killing. So I'm not sure how legitimate that information is. I don't know if that's something that... Wagner made up, but she said that's that's how it started. So Wagner worked the night shift along with the rest of these women. And given that the hospital was already understaffed and people were very overworked, no one was really looking out for these individuals. I, I imagine they were just happy to have people that were w- willing to volunteer and work these shifts. 
Um, so no one was really paying too much attention, especially with it being the night shift as well. Yeah. And even in like the case of Beverly, and then I read a few other cases just um, as I was trying to pick a case, there's a lot that happens during the night shift. Most of these things are occurring at night. And so it's just kind of unfortunate because it's like the time where I feel like patients might be the most vulnerable, you know? Right. And there's the least amount of people on staff or maybe the least, I don't want to say least qualified staff, but I feel like the people who are really, really good are working during the day, you know? So Wagner um, ended up recruiting a few other nurses during this time. So that included Maria, Irene, and Stephanie. Um, There was not a lot of information available on these women, their backgrounds, pretty much what I said earlier is, is, uh, what was out there, but they mostly came from lower income rural areas similar to Wagner. So even though it started out with mercy killing, these women started to uh, progress and kill patients that were just annoying to them or patients who complained and inconvenienced them. They started out using morphine to kill their patients and then they graduated to what they called the water cure, which is when one person would pinch a patient's nose one opened their mouth and another poured water down their throat, essentially drowning them. That is... It's really messed up. There's a progression, you know? Yeah, that's that's barbaric. Oh my gosh. It's definitely graduated far beyond any mercy, you know, at this point. I think you could argue if you're, you know, killing someone with morphine, maybe in your own twisted head you're doing them a favor. But this is just flat out cruel. And, yeah. the, you know... I just am curious, how do you even get three other people on board with you? How did none of these people will say, you know, what you're doing is messed up and I'm telling someone. It's just, they were just down to to start killing people and to do it in this terrible way. I don't know. But um, even this method using the, the water cure was not traceable as many patients, you know, they were already sick and they had fluid in their lungs already so people weren't necessarily getting suspicious for that reason because i would think you know if someone was essentially drowned that people would start to notice but since these patients already had fluid fluid in their lungs anyway people didn't really notice what was going on i'm curious about like the cleanup because i imagine that would be messy right i mean i don't know that it would have been too messy necessarily i don't know if it took that much water you know to the point where it'd be like spilling everywhere not to like get super graphic but you know these these patients were really old and really sick so they weren't necessarily able to fight back so i don't think it would require that much effort to to harm these people yeah so i guess yeah but that just you know people were people not walking by were were they in their own private rooms it just you you would hope that this would be more noticeable Um, so it's very, very sad that this went on for so long, like I said, about six to seven years that they were killing their patients. Um, and so how they got caught, it's really interesting. They would often go drinking after work at the local pub and they would talk about their patients and and laugh about their suffering or, um, just what they went through, which is so cruel, so terrible and really sloppy on their part because... 
Eventually, they were overheard by a doctor who went immediately to the police and they began to investigate what was going Good on. Good for him. Good doctor. Um, so Wagner ended up confessing to 49 murders. Later on, she backtracked and said, no, I didn't do that many. But it was believed that she was responsible for, for many, many more. Um, she ended up being convicted for 15 murders, 17 attempts, and two counts of assault. Irene uh, got life in prison on conviction of five murders and two attempts. Stephanie uh, got 15 years for a manslaughter conviction, seven counts of attempted murder. And Maria received an identical term for two murder attempts. So they were eventually caught, eventually put in prison, and the fallout in uh, the area resulted in criticism of the healthcare system. So nurses' aides were not supposed to be administering injections in the first place. So the fact that these women were allowed to administer injections, so their their um, kills in the beginning were all, you know, through injection. That was a violation to begin with. Um, and many people became really angry at nurses and, you know, would go as far as spitting on them in public which is horrible, you know, for all the, the, the people that committed the, the murders were not nurses and that these people who decided to become nurses and were doing good things for their patients and, you know, nurses are underpaid, uh, overworked, and then they had to deal with the scrutiny from the public because of what these women had done. Wow. is really a shame. Um yeah <laughs> that that is the lane's angels of death not great people but it's horrible yeah it was a tough one especially since they ended up you know killing maybe 200 people who who knows I feel like predators um find like the right kind of environment to take advantage of certain situations like being able to be a night nursing assistant and kill over 200 patients and so, that's true it yeah. is horrible. Um, it's good that this is very, very rare that this does happen. Um, I was reading into some prevention methods. I can't remember where I read it, but it was talking about how monitoring people, you know, seeing how many people, because people die, unfortunately. That's, you know, a fact of life, especially in a hospital. Um, but making sure that the numbers of people dying on a certain person's shift aren't higher than than others there are ways to protect against this and obviously i mean my case took place in the 80s so i i would hope that by now that there have been some more policies put into place maybe more tracking um obviously just to to be sure that things like this don't happen and like you were saying like maybe psychiatric care or something i don't know but it's just crazy that things like this can happen and, and yeah. really messed up and very sad for the patients who who were killed you know but I guess going back to to my case it really seems like they were power oriented you know uh Wagner just got a thrill or thrill seekers maybe I don't know I feel like she fits into every single category where you know it was a thrill for her to kill other people it gave her that sense of power and they you know if they were annoyed with people or didn't want to 
changed their sheets or give them medication. They were able, if they just killed them, they didn't have to do that. So it's really, really some messed up stuff there. I bet that when there's like groups of killers like this, I always feel like there's likely some weird sense of like belonging within like that group you know thinking of just different crime families or you know Mm -hmm. the mansons like things like that i i imagine like there's a little bit of oh well this is what we do together and like a sense of belongingness and feeling like oh like if i was doing this on my own that would be messed up but it's four Mm -hmm. of us so it's you know um that kind of helps make it a little easier for them to continue with their crimes i think right I would be interested to continue to look into kind of group killers as as we continue to go through this. Um, but yeah, it's just so interesting to me. I wonder how many times someone has tried to start a group and the other person they told was just not on board versus how many times... <laughs> the other person does get on board and like hey i really want to uh start killing people tomorrow and just looking at like what the <laughs> hell is wrong with you <laughs> yeah i imagine there has to be you know a very carefully crafted conversation where they're you know joking about it at first and they're like but really should we like kill some people i don't it's just we'll we'll have to look more into to group people um group killers later on but yeah it's it's some it's a crazy mess of world out there (laughs) that's all we have to talk about today so we will go ahead and sign off Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.